0: This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, a spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and Fraser Nelson. This morning, Kate Forbes has announced that she is running to be the next First Minister of Scotland. It comes as Angus Robertson has ruled himself out. Here's what Kate Forbes had to say in
1: her launch video. Friends in the SNP, our nation and our movement are at a major crossroads. The choices that we make in the next few weeks will have a profound impact on our future and on our children's future. I can't sit back and watch our nation thwarted on the road to self-determination our small independent neighbors enjoy wealthier fairer and greener societies and so should we we urgently need to unleash the full talent of the smp the wider yes movement and the country at large we need to choose strong competent leadership to deliver independence the leadership that i can offer
0: Fraser, there you have it. That's Kate Forbes saying that she is the fresh face that SNP needs. What did you make
2: of it? I thought it was a a, a good video. Um, She is nothing if not fresh faced, Kate. She's 32 years old. She'd be one of the youngest people ever to run for leadership of a British political party. I was really amazed that Angus Robertson dropped out. He was the bookmaker's favourite in, um, in the early hours of his morning. It had been assumed that he would be the kind of continuity candidate, that the race was his to lose. So when he dropped out, not giving very much in the way of reason, that obviously, the first thing you go, it's, it's now going to be a contest between Kate Forbes and Hamza Youssef, the health secretary. Now, there are others, Ash Reagan um, will be standing as well, but those are going to be the two main protagonists. Now, when Nicola Sturgeon resigned last week, my first thought was that um, it should be Kate Forbes, I'm a great admirer of hers, but it probably wouldn't be because her religious views, she's a member of the Free Church of Scotland and has never disavowed for Church's um, views on gay marriage and abortion on gender, that that would have been too much for an SNP as a party, which has gone a bit too much down the, the path of wokery to, for want of a better word, with gender self-ID. Um, and I thought that the clash of values would be too much. But that was assuming that they had a continuity candidate. Now, if Youssef is the continuity candidate, he's a lot more problematic. He has got a um, mixed record as health secretary, shall we say. He was the author of the Hate Crime Bill, which is the very opposite of the more intolerant politics that Kate Forbes would want to Include and, and also he's known um, for having a bit of a temper on him as well. I think uh, one of the quotes I read in your cover piece, Katie, was quite interesting of somebody saying that he makes Dominic Grab look like the Buddha when he gets um, anxious at work. Uh, so all of a sudden, if if you're a nationalist, then Kate Forbes, rather than being the slightly too religious outside bet starts to look like the best bet, and right now the bookmakers' favourites to win.
0: Yes, Isabel, now that Angus Robertson is is not in the race and has confirmed that it does mean that Kate Forbes is very much viewed as the front-runner, I think even in all the polling um, currently, she, she fares the best. But what what do you make in terms of, there's lots of talk, and there are some signs of almost a stop-Kate campaign from parts of the SNP, particularly the... Um, quite a lot you know sturgeon allies who are you know not backing her do you think we're going to see more of this
3: yeah and i i don't think it's just about her sort of mor- moral views her religious background and so on it's also that she is economically on the right of the snp and this is a really fascinating thing about the snp is that because it's A movement that has come together in a party and it's got one cause one specific cause it's got so many different beliefs about economics about defense uh, and it's largely managed to keep these views under a lid in the call in the name of the independence cause Uh, but i think that as time has worn on we've started to see many more cracks in that um and so kate forbes uh, would take the party in in a different direction economically which uh, some of the the more left wing nationalists um would be upset about and i think we'll see much more of a debate about what the party stands for on a whole host of issues she may well try to use uh, try to talk herself up as the, the sort of the, the toughest candidate on independence and i wonder whether uh, you end up having a sort of a nationalist off over who who the toughest is to try to to get back into the game with some of those who might dislike her her approach on on other policies. Then you have Hamza Yousaf, who is the sort of continuity candidate. You've got lots of parts of the SNP infrastructure and special advisors and so on who are rowing behind him. Um, he's a very interesting character, um, as Fraser mentioned, and as your cover piece last week mentioned, Katie, he does he has a short temper. There's a clip of him talking to nurses who were complaining about their pay uh, at the SNP conference uh, in the autumn, where he ended up saying, "Well, let's not patronise each other in a very snappy way because they were he felt labouring a point too much." Um, and then, more amusingly, there's there was an incident where um, I think he was recovering from a, an injury or an operation. He was um, He was travelling through the corridors of the Scottish Parliament on a scooter, saw a camera, decided to go a little bit faster on this scooter um, and fell off, but didn't see the funny side at all and started claiming that this was, in fact, journalists mocking the disabled, as opposed to just um, mocking the bumptious, which I think was probably more what was going on here. Um, So uh, there's lots of potential for this contest to get quite fiery um, in that respect as well. And then Ash Reagan, I think... The other candidates are leaning on quite a bit to take away some of the heat, particularly, again, actually on moral issues, um, because she is the anti-self-ID candidate, the one who resigned over uh, this legislation. She's got Joanna Cherry backing her, which will obviously infuriate certain parts of of the SNP as well. So really what I think we're going to see is, is much more of a debate in the SNP than we've seen for a very long time. Anyone who's been to SNP conferences knows that uh, they tend to have the least debate out of anything because of this this saying wished for independence or wished for indie and Fraser you wrote in your Telegraph column last week about Kate Forbes
0: faith how now she is publicly saying she's running for this it can't be too long before she has a launch where there'll be a and a and interviews as this goes on address to the membership do, do you think her faith is going to come up a lot more
2: Yes, I do. I mean, Kate Forbes herself points out that in almost every interview and profile with her, it tends to be the first thing people go for. She's a convert to the Free Church of Scotland, the so-called We Freeze. and they are quite well known for being kind of unapologetic, very traditionalist. They were the reasons that that, that Swings in Shetland were chained up on Sundays until uh, a few years ago. One of her heroes is Eric Little, the the famous sprinter immortalised in um, Chariots of Fire, who... Famously, didn't run on the Sabbath and forsook his uh, the worldly rewards to to keep his faith strong. Lots of Christians or people with faith, when they interviewed about it by politicians, so by journalists, will say yes, I go to church, yes, I'm Christian. That's about the most that they'll say. But when she was asked by Nick Robinson in political thinking about her faith, here's what she has to say. And I think it's um, worth listening to because it's one of the most extraordinary quotes about faith I can ever remember a politician giving.
1: I do, however, recognise my responsibility to represent all my constituents. And some of them will agree with my politics, others will disagree. Some will agree with my faith, others will disagree. I have a duty to represent them, but neither... Do I want to deceive my, my my constituents? And I think being straight with them about my faith, about who I am, about my background is really important. You know, I, I, I'm a woman. I can't take that part away from me. I'm also a Christian. I can't take that part away from me.
2: Now that's a woman who believes it, who is prepared to, you know, to dare to be a Daniel in the the lion's den of secularism. And I think that's part of her appeal. She will certainly be respected by by conservatives in Scotland for having the sheer strength of character in this day and age to hold on to her religious beliefs and not apologise for them. The question is whether she will be asked, as Tim Farron was asked, a very specific question that she might find it hard to answer, whether she regards gay sex as sinful. Now that's a little bit of a a graphic question, but it's one that when he was Lib Dem leader, Farron couldn't answer. He ended up having his whole campaign dominated by that question. Now will she be asked that question? This is about journalism, it's not about politics. Whether um, Colin Mackay, who so famously grilled um, Rishi Sunak recently in a clip which went right around the world, will go at Kate Forbes, do you think gay sex is sinful? Do you think gay marriage is sinful? And it's difficult to say yes to that and maintain as much of a secular following as you had in an era where lots of people just think religion's a bit weird and the religious are a bit weird and that people who hold faith to that degree simply ought not to be in number 10. But if we have a Hindu as Prime Minister, if we have a Buddhist as Home Secretary, are we really saying we cannot have a member of the Free Church of Scotland in Butte House? I think that's one of the very many interesting questions which Kate Forbes' candidature will um, present.
0: Isabel, the story that's dominating Westminster this week relates to the Northern Ireland Protocol. Now, if uh, you think back to the end of last week. You had Rishi Sunak flying to Northern Ireland to meet with members of the DUP, then, of course, meeting the European Commission President on the sidelines of the Munich Security Summit, and. It led to talk that you could have early this week big developments, and now seems as though something could happen this week, but not perhaps to that timetable. What type of opposition is Rishi Sunak currently facing?
3: He's got two big problems. One is his predecessor, Boris Johnson, who uh, has warned over the weekend that it would be a great mistake to drop his Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, and then the DUP, whose support he still hasn't managed to guarantee. And there's a question about whether Sunak thinks that it's necessary to get the backing of the DUP or whether he thinks that actually they will never back uh, what has to be a compromise in order to get a deal over the line in time for uh, the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which to Sunak and to US President Joe Biden and lots of other figures is uh, really important. Symbolically, the DUP have been very clear it's it, it's not an important deadline as as they see it. When I interviewed Arlene Foster last week she described it as an artificial deadline. And and so does Sunak say, well look, you know, the DUP don't back this but you're gonna to have to explain this to your voters if, if you refuse to go back into the executive and you'll you know you'll have to go back to the polls and have fresh elections and so on. The the knock on impact of that though is not simply just across DUP and I don't want to say just continued stalemate instalment because that is very serious in and of itself. But if you're thinking purely about parliamentary arithmetic, that then brings a large chunk of the Conservative parliamentary party into play in the form of the uh, European Research Group, which uh, could then turn against against the deal and rebel against it. And there have been reports today of uh, maybe 100 uh, members of the ERG who might turn against uh, Sunak on this. So he's he's in a very difficult position, as you would expect. And it seems that things have slowed down as a result of this.
0: And, and Isabel, just briefly on that, I mean, quite a high number of the ERG did previously back the Brexit deal, despite the DEP saying it was a betrayal. So what do you think has changed this time?
3: A few things have changed. I mean, I think it's also worth pointing out that that Boris Johnson is a slightly separate problem, even though he's an aggravating factor, because he is the person who uh, ultimately let down the DUP um, on this. I I think, as with everything, it's not just about the policy um, in hand. It's also about the the relations between this group of MPs and the Prime Minister um, and uh, Sunak uh, trying to uh, keep, keep a lid on tensions between this wing of MPs, some of whom are... Um, you know, Johnsonites, some of whom are Trussites, uh, some of whom are both and quite embittered um, and who, who want to give the Prime Minister a bloody nose.
0: Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, Fraser. And thank you for listening.